This is Listen Here Now, Serious Library News, the podcast for the Pendleton Public Library. Please like and subscribe and recommend us to your friends and family. They can find us wherever they get their podcasts, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Today we get to talk to Joshua Brown. Let's go with Joshua Samuel Brown. There are three... There are three Josh Browns in this town of Pendleton. Yeah, because when I go and I, I get my prescriptions at the pharmacy, it's like, oh, which one are you? And I'm like, how many are there in this town? The, the answer to that is three. Joshua Samuel Brown. Yeah, that's all. That's my writer's name. So if you're going to Google me or you want to buy my books, Please that's... Google him because the books are good. I have been reading this one, Spinning Karma. It's my first novel. I'm going to be putting it into the fiction section of the library. That's probably where it belongs. Well, I'm hoping. That was a long silence. (laughs) I was was waiting for you to say, oh, yes, other. Or, no, no. No, no, please do. (laughs) I've got this list of questions, but I'm not going to, I'm going to let you ask the questions. I feel like it's going to be more natural if I'm going to put this right here. Okay, that's all right. Uh, lots of people like to know beforehand what I'm going to spring on them. And, uh, I swear to goodness it's not going to be scary. It's just fun little get-to-know-you questions. All right. Fun. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. Right, getting to like you. Or, well, I no, no promises <laughs> on that. Let's wait till the first couple of answers come out. Uh, let's start. What is your job? Uh, currently, I am... Uh, a bilingual information specialist uh, for a company called 211. Uh, and that's a number that you call when you're in need of, of assistance or social services or things of that nature. Um, and this is, uh, I'm now in my 16th or 18th month, 18th month, I think. And um, it's it's up until, this is a new change for me. Prior to that, I had been a, a, an international man of mystery. I was a travel writer and I was writing for Lonely Planet. And uh, I was gallivanting around the planet writing travel books, uh, some of which you may have in this very library here. Uh, we do have many from that. From that era. From that era. If you want to know what the price of ceviche was in Belize in anywhere from 2007 to 2014, I'm the guy to ask. <laughs> I don't want to know how much it costs. I just want a dish of it right now, please. I can't. I, I mean, not that old, but... I can get you ceviche, and I go to Grocery Outlet for ceviche now. <laughs> well, I was going to Heinz Meat Company to get other things, and there was ceviche. Why not? It. it was great. It had cucumber in it. Nice. I've never had, I've never had ceviche with cucumber. It I don't, was really good. I don't think I've even seen a cucumber in Belize. They're not big on fresh veggies down there. It's all Man, coleslaw. It's difficult to it's coleslaw. maintain a vegetable garden. All right, we got that question. What do I do for a living? What do I do for a living? What is your job? Your job is two one one offer. Yes, yes. I, I... What's the other language? Uh, Mandarin Chinese. Oh. Do you get calls that are just this area or everywhere? All over the state of uh, all over the state of Oregon and uh, Southwest Washington. We do have a sizable Chinese community that is unsuspected by. Many people in in Pendleton because I think I've met all of them. <laughs> not I, not sizable in Pendleton. Not sizable in Pendleton. And yeah. I would be surprised if you had met all of them. Some of them are 
Undocumented peoples. I I and you know what? If if any of them are listening now, 没有关系，这是打给我的电话。我不是警察，我只是要联系我的中文，好不好？因为现在在 Pendleton 都没有人，没有汉人可以说我中文。It's okay. That's you. They'll, they'll, they know what I was saying there. <laughs> Now, see, I'm beginning to think about your international man of mystery. What have I loosed upon the air? I just want to practice my Chinese. That's it. It's it's because prior, basically, it's like it's like this. My. Methodology of practicing my Chinese, and now of course I get to do it through work, which is great.、Uh, but I used to like go to restaurants, but you got to kind of sit and drink tea, and that's not really a thing now. It's like we're not sitting in restaurants for reasons,、uh, and I'm 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 very snobby about like my Chinese food because I'm used to like Taiwanese cuisine, which so far no Taiwanese restaurants in this town. So no, there are not. Although I did get schooled about well, don't. Talk down about American Chinese food because oh, I do all the time. That's usually the way that Chinese immigrants have been able to make a life for themselves. Well, They're the first restaurant in every small town. One, I've had this conversation with <laughs> Chinese immigrants, and in Chinese, and I'm like.、Oh. And again, I, no no offense to anybody, but I'm going to cause offense to people. I'm like, why do you make this food? Why don't you make this dish or that dish? And they're like, because if I made this dish or that dish, Americans would need it. I need to make American style Chinese food because that's what the market wants. And, and also, it's not entirely un-Chinese food because it does come from a place where it runs a little sweeter. But still, I want to give a shout out. Right? Can I give a shout outs? Shout outs to fellow podcaster, my 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 friend Laszlo Montgomery of the Chinese History Podcast. He has.、Um, Uh, podcasts about the history of Chinese American food, which is its own thing.、Um, but that being said,、um, it's not my thing, but it's definitely its own thing. You know. Yeah. But any, anyway. Right, go on. Sorry, <laughs> we've we've already gone off on it. We're we're not even past question number one.、Oh, This podcast is going to be fourteen hours. Yeah, it's. I tell people it's going to be twenty minutes, and it's almost always. An hour at least.、Uh, where are you from? I'm originally from New York City.、Oh, the actual city. The actual.、Not... Uh, I'm from Staten Island. Okay, okay? that's I. I knew this was going to be a, a gotcha interview. <laughs> I'm from. I'm from. I. May I quote、As、the? If I know. May I quote the Wu Tang Clan, who said, "I was born on the violent island of Shaolin," which is Staten Island. For those of you not. Versed in Wu Tang Clan、uh, lingo, but yeah. So, but I, I mean, I, I, you know, I went to high school in Manhattan, and I was a bike messenger in Manhattan. So I get to have like, you know, when when we look on the news and we see that some there's like a riot going on in a food court in Staten Island against vaccination. I'm like, yeah, that's that's where I was born, but I'm yeah, I'm from New York, okay. And anybody else from Staten Island will understand what I mean by that. If if you have any listeners from Staten Island for whatever reason. I may. Hey. <laughs> have you moved around a lot? I know you have. I've moved around a great deal. I've uh, uh, I've been everywhere, man. I've lived in China and I've lived in Taiwan, primarily Taiwan. I've also lived in Hong Kong. I've also lived in Texas. I lived in Texas for about a year,、uh, and not and we're not talking Austin either, which you know I lived in like a little town that no one's ever heard of called Grosbeck because I, I married I married a Texan woman, and、uh, that that did not work out very well. But、uh, we we farmed for a while. I've lived in Colorado. I've also but I've lived in the Pacific Northwest 
for uh, different chunks of my adult life. And so I've lived in Seattle. And most recently, um, I moved, I came to Portland in 2012 while I was in between Lonely Planet gigs. And uh, I just liked it. And I liked Oregon. And I traveled around Oregon. And I just liked it. And then most recently, I've moved from Portland to here in Pendleton. And I am I am just madly in love with this town. I just love this place. I love living here. It's 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 I and this is again this is a, a tangent there's gonna be a lot of those I got a call yesterday from my friend Matt who's in Thailand who's uh one of those people that uh another he's a travel writer but he's always doing things he's always moving a shaker and he's looking for travel writers to do articles for a new website that he's been hired to build up and we're talking about that and within 10 minutes of the conversation about you know how to do a city guide for this or that or other Asian city I'm telling him about my compost and just how my <laughs> compost is really good and I'm using a broad fork to you know break the soil and 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 then I realized that maybe I'm not the guy to be doing travel guides anymore <laughs> you know if I'm, I'm talking about no I'm I, I think I think I've 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 done that already uh-huh. you know now I I'd, I'd rather just do fiction quite frankly it's always going and coming back. Yeah, not it, it's this is a bad time to travel. This is just I've got friends who are still traveling quite a bit and like, oh yeah, I just had to quarantine for ten days in a hotel in Taiwan. It was great. I couldn't leave. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound like fun to me. I don't like the idea of not being able to leave a hotel room, you know? It's not quite prison. I don't wanna but it's you, if you can't leave a room, that's not it's never a good thing for me. Where you work on your meditation. I've done that thing too already, but yeah. No, I'm I plus I got too much yard work to do. Uh, so then what is your favorite thing here? What is my favorite thing in Pendleton? I would take the region, but I bet you got one in Pendleton. Let me go for let me go region and then Pendleton. Um I like the fact that I was able to you know, buy a house here. I really like that. I like, I love being a homeowner and I love gardening and I love the fact that there are other people. Um, I got, I got neighbors who'll pass by because, you know, we're gardening. We're doing a lot of gardening and they're like, yeah, that's not going to grow there. <laughs> I'm like, what? Well, yeah. No, and they're immediately like, yeah, you've been living on the other side of the Cascades, right? Yeah. That's what, yeah. When you get like however many inches of rain you get over there. Yeah, that's fine. But no, that's not going to grow there. I'm like, oh, thank you. And they're, they're always right. Of course. Uh, I like that. I like having good neighbors. Uh, I like that there's, when we came here, one of the first places that we came was this library, and we're like, oh, we like this library. This is super cool. Um, so, um, I, I like living in a town that I can just walk around from one place to another and, and you know, not have to drive so much. Um, and there's history, there's tourism here. I don't know. Am I off on a tangent already? I'm, you know, I just, I, I just, you know, I also like not having to travel anymore. That's also, I lived out of a backpack for about seven years. I so just, a backpack and, uh, like I'd have my computer case. I'm doing things. I'm gesturing with my hands as if I'm carrying things and it's a podcast. If anybody ever animates this, uh, and like a camera around my neck and I lived like that for seven years and, and like I'd go to really nice hotels where they put me up, but it's never quite the same. I like being able to wake up in the same bed you know uh, that's that's and that's a that's a very valuable thing to me um, what else um, I like people not blowing off firecrackers in, in front of my house on a regular basis that was one thing if, if anybody ever goes to Taiwan uh, they have many festivals there that involve explosives just a lot of them and they happen spontaneously any given day and uh, often very early in the morning we, we lived next door to uh, 
uh, a temple. It was a Taoist temple in Taiwan. And uh, when we first moved there, like I was like, oh, there's a temple next door. That's very peaceful. And it is, I, there was like a little block in my mind because I had forgotten. I should have known because I write books about Taiwan. But I, I just didn't connect those two things. And then about two weeks later, it's seven in the morning and there's just... And I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's Matsu's birthday. Of course it's Matsu's birthday. Uh, there are a lot of gods there, and they all have birthdays, you know. So, um, but in any event, yes, I like not having that now. Last year, uh, there was a, you would have had a different story about fireworks because there were fireworks all the time everywhere. Uh, this was a real quiet 4th of July. <laughs> yeah, there wasn't really. Yeah. Was that was but it was last year when people couldn't really get out and go mm-hmm. places. Yeah. It was just recreationally October yeah. 8th. Yep. Pow! <laughs> I, I think people are starting to get used to it, and I think things are changing. I also like the Mexican food here. It's very good Mexican food, which there was not really good Mexican food in Taiwan. We just ate Mexican food down the block, by the way. Uh, at Nico's. Yes. Can I, is that the place that's down the block, right? Next to the post office. Oh, that's, um... No, Nico's is the taco truck. I'll give them... I, I just shout out to... Just general <laughs> shout out. I can't remember the name of the place, by the uh, They have had... My favorite thing that I've had there is the green chili cheeseburger. Ooh. Any Mexican restaurant that you go to that has an American menu right. will have almost always a green chili cheeseburger. And it's different okay. in every place, and it's so good. Uh, they, I want horchata. That's one thing that I always, I wanted in Taiwan, and I found one place that they, they had, they had the recipe for horchata, which is basically just spiced, like it's a sweet rice milk. So, yeah, I don't know how we, I don't know how we got off on horchata. You can edit that out. No, edit right. nothing. Right. <laughs> it's a just a shout out to horchata. <laughs> and also the Mexican food. That yeah. yeah. It is good. There's it is. Lots yeah. Of good yeah. Place. This Pendleton is a surprisingly good food town. Uh, it's, it's, when we first moved here, I think we were here, like, I think that the, our, 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 our property agent, our real estate agent, she handed us our keys and she said, you know, you're going to like Great Pacific. And, and we said, oh, okay. And then like another person, like somebody came over to like fix like a water heater or something like that. And I was like, oh, you're going to like Great Pacific. And I'm like, what what is it about us that like shows you're gonna like Great Pacific? And then we went to Great Pacific, like, oh yeah, this is where they have like gluten free cookies, and you know you can get gluten free pizza. And this is the sort of place where like if people were driving, I guess you know across the country from Portland, and this is their first stop for a meal, that's like, oh, I need gluten free. I need something that's gluten free. Yeah, that's the place to go. I always get the locks because I like the locks. Okay. Yeah, they, they got gluten-free bagels if um, you want. Okay. I don't really worry about that. Uh, I, can, I can handle gluten. My wife does. She's. Yeah. I uh, had dinner at the distillery oh. last night. I got the roll the dice burger. They just make you a burger. Yeah. You don't know what's going to be on it. Uh, it was on a um, English muffin. Okay. And then there was an egg. And then there was like a fried green tomato, mm-hmm. the red Ooh. tomato. Nice, okay. Then there was bacon. Okay. A lot of bacon. Okay. Like four pieces of bacon. That's a lot of bacon, okay. And then it, still yet, 
there was a cheeseburger underneath that. Wow. Now, have you had the OMG burger, the one that's the four different types of meat? <laughs> I have not had this is, that this is This is a vegan-friendly podcast. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, no, that's for, it's a Wagyu beef. Uh, it's a boar, like a pork boar sort of thing. And then it's two other things like venison or elk or something. And it's really good. Shout out to OMG Burger. I'm just, I'm hoping after this podcast is over, we're just going to be invited to eat everywhere. So you're close. Shut up. all around. Yeah. Uh, how do you use the library? Uh, I come here to the library and I, I take books and I bring them home and I read them. Mm-hmm. We, we do have other things. But are there, are, what? Uh, we have programs. Uh, for instance, last weekend was the cemetery walk and only cemetery. And I was, we were going to do that and I didn't. Uh, yeah. Because our, we were going to do that, but our cat was dying. I, I, well, we, we felt like it would be a little bit too on the nose to go on a cemetery walk. It really wasn't. The cat's was okay, by the way. The cat's rallying. She's rallying. Uh, it, they really were just historic characters talking about what they did okay. in their lifetime. It was like a, a lovely October walk in a park. Who is buried in that cemetery that I just having I have the my historical knowledge of Pendleton is largely from having done the Pendleton Underground Walk. So of that you've done that walk? Oh yeah. Okay. So is are there any characters from that who would then be talking to me from beyond the grave? Uh, I'm not entirely sure if you are uh, looking for um, like Madame Stella Darby, who I know is not buried here. No, I think she's in Walla Walla. She's in Walla Walla. Uh, which is where my people are, so I know right. that cemetery quite well. Right. I don't know only cemetery as well. No, uh, Lot Livermore, okay. first mayor of Pendleton. Okay. There, um, Aura who is the what they call her the mother of Pendleton. She mm-hmm. was like the first realtor. She and her daughter sold all of the lots okay. of the businesses and some of the houses and stuff. Hank Vaughn is mm-hmm. my favorite. He was a gunfighter and a ne'er-do-well and a delightful creature. Those two things often go well. Gunfighter, <laughs> ne'er-do-well, and delightful creature, yeah. as long as you're not on the business end of the gunfighting part. They're, right. they're very easy to get along with. Right. And in his defense, most of the gunfighting was because somebody um, pushed him into it because mm-hmm. he had a, a, a touchy temper. And also he drank. Yeah. And that that makes you a little bit touchy. What what's the name of uh she is a very important person to this town. I'm blanking on the name, but she is her statue stares at Madame Stella Darby's from across the street. That is uh Aura Rayleigh. Okay. And so her statue is staring at, at Stella Darby's, and I know that they didn't live during the same time, but I get the feeling they probably wouldn't have gotten along if they had. They wouldn't, and that was kind of a tacky move on the art. To put them across the street from each other? Okay. I don't know who to, if I, and I know that I'll never be asked this, but I don't know whose side to be on, because on the one hand, Ms. Riley, she has a cat. Is it Riley? Or Rayleigh. She has a cat, and that's... Just so the people know, uh, when Pendleton was first platted, mm-hmm. it was uh, from Goodwin Station. Okay. Her husband, Moses Goodwin, Goodwin. Okay. 
bought it, and that's where they lived. They had a hotel there, Goodwin Hotel. Okay. It was also sometimes not called Goodwin Station. It was sometimes called Goodwin Cat Station. Okay. Because Aura Rayleigh loved cats, and they had lots of them. And that's why I kind of, you know, I like her a lot, but on the other hand, Stella Darby had, had a brothel, and from a tourist point of view, just st- I'm always thinking about the tourism... I'm not sure how many people are going to come for the cats, and you know, in the 1800s. Well, in the 1800s, they came because uh, Aura Rayleigh made sure that people were okay. Okay. And she took care of. People. Okay. She was motherly in the sense that she made sure people were all right. Okay. And that they liked it here. Uh, also, motherly in the sense that she made Pendleton happen. Okay. But, so, it's just, you can't really compare the two. Okay. Because, you know, I'm going to stop comparing the two Stella, from here on in. And Stella, very spicy person. That's an exciting story, too. But really just completely different. I feel like there are a lot of stories in this town. And I'm, because my, I've moved here to, to live and probably for, you know, the rest of my days, possibly, I want to learn them slowly. And then I want to, I don't know what I could do to like, at under normal circumstances, if those ever come back, I'd be like, oh, let's, let's bring, you know, travelers from Taiwan and China and, and I can translate those stories for them. But I, I don't see many travelers from anywhere at this point, except for, you know, overseas, but they'll come back. Yeah. Eventually. There's a lot uh, there's a lot of cool history here. There is, and I would recommend that anyone start with uh, uh, the Heritage Station Museum. Okay. Um, make an appointment with the director and say what it is that you are wanting to know, and you can work together to do a project on this mm-hmm. specifically for the foreign tourists. Sure. Uh, also... Um, we have some things, like we have one called Pioneer Reminiscence, a book called mm-hmm. Pioneer Reminiscence, which is uh, everybody who had been living in Pendleton, I think this book was written in 1935, but it might be 1924. Anyway, um, it was their stories about what they remember about Old Pendleton. And sometimes it's their personal stories, sometimes it's stories about other people, sometimes it's stories that other people told them, and uh, it is inaccurate in many ways, but it's a good starting place. Hmm. Also, we have vertical files with everything about some of the people. What if you had a book like uh, a, if I wanted to read a book that would that would really catch me up to speed on the history of Pendleton? You being a librarian, what would you recommend? I would start you with Pioneer Reminiscence. Okay. But then you want to go on to Way Back Then, Way Back When, and We Remember When. And okay. Those are two more collections of um, stories of pioneers. Okay. Also, you are not going to want to neglect the stories of uh, Major Lee Morehouse, who took photographs of the tribe. Okay. You're not going to want to neglect anything you can find to read about the tribe. And um, the uh, pastor that came out to run the mission uh, at Tutuwila Creek, Mm -hmm. uh, he was... The first person to make a grammar of the Sahoptan language, and the first to make a dictionary of it. Okay. The dictionary that we have now uh, 
was based on his work. How many contemporary speakers of that language are there? I don't know. There are, there, uh, there has been a very decided push to teach it and to learn. There are teachers and you can take the classes, uh, but I don't know how many. In, in the book that Stephanie and I wrote, uh, Formosa Moon, uh, one of the chapters concerns a town called Smangus, which is the, the, it's the English eye, the, 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 it's the way that it can be pronounced, but it's Smakus, and it's, it's, there's different ways to pronounce it. But, uh, we, we took a drive up there, and it was one of the, I get, I get car sick. Uh, that's one of my things, is I get sick anytime that I travel. I just, it's, I have no travel books that I've written where vomiting doesn't come in at least twice in the book. Um, unfortunate. It's well. I want. I want to be realistic. I want people to know what goes into traveling. But in this case, this is a town that's very, very high up in the mountains, very windy road, uh, and the people of this tribe. When we visited them, they told us how they had gone about um, basically both reclaiming their autonomy and also opening themselves up for tourism, but in a way that would not that would maximize the benefits and minimize the 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 negative repercussions of tourism on their culture uh and one of the things that's one of my long-term things that i'm just thinking about right now it's all just thinking is i would love to bring a group of people um from that tribe at some point over here to meet up with the people who live here the the Umatilla people is that am i pronouncing that correctly yeah, um and and maybe Say that again. <laughs> the Cayuse. The Cayuse Umatilla Walla Walla. And maybe even arrange some sort of a, a reciprocal visit where people could visit there. Because if there's one thing that I can say about getting to the Umatilla uh, reservation is that it's very smooth drive. And so I didn't vomit once on the way there. But I think if I were to bring a group of people from there to visit Smangus, I think some people would be chucking up outside the window of the van and but no, more than that uh is that the way that different tribes around the planet and again my my area is taiwan and to a lesser extent china and different um and we can't think in english and booming uh um tribal peoples uh the way that they are sort of communicating and i'll give you one example is when i when i interviewed this uh tribal chief is like, oh, we are actually, we're, we, we had a conversation about bringing the internet in because it's a very, very high mountain place. So they had to really want to bring the internet in to bring the internet in. And they finally decided that they would do it, even though they knew that the kids would wind up being on their cell phones. But one of the things that they now do is they have Zoom conferences with uh, other tribal groups that are in Central America and South America. And they're saying things like, oh, we noticed that it's not raining as much this year, or we're noticing that crops that used to grow, you know, at 4,000 feet, now we're growing at 6,000 feet. And what are we doing to to sort of roll with that? And I just think that that's a really interesting form of, of like cultural exchange that could happen between tribal peoples. So that's you know, one of the things that, and it's I, all these things, and Then, but then it's like, oh, but I've also got gardening to do. Uh, and like somebody reviewed my book like a week ago, and it was a really nice review, and I should really get onto Twitter and say, hey, look, somebody said something nice about my book, but I haven't had the time to do that. So uh, I'm, I'm feeling the, uh, I am feeling the relentless uh, finite nature of time. <laughs> 
The March. The March of, of Time. time. <laughs> the March. Was that like, that was like a 1940s newsreel thing. The March of Time. <laughs> I don't know if it's a British one or an American one. I think it was American. Yeah. <laughs> These dough, these dough boys ain't complaining. <laughs> but they should. Uh, what's the furthest you've been from home? I uh, that 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 that. Uh, where's home? Yeah. The, or, the, or the countries you've traveled. The in. furthest that I have. Well, it's with your, with your world traveling. The most remote place that I've ever been, I think, may be either Mauritius. Uh, which is an island basically halfway between India and, uh, and, and Africa. And I was sent there. I was a factory inspector for about a year and they sent me there <coughs> to inspect factories because there were Chinese workers working there. Uh, and it was a very nice trip because it was Ramadan. And so, uh, the factory managers were Muslim and so they were closed down and they were like, no, we're not working. So I basically got to hang out on the beach. And then like on the third or fourth day, they were like, yeah, okay, well, we'll bring you over to the factory. And none of the workers were working either. Like, yeah, they're giving us off. So, uh, but that's probably the most remote place. The other place, the place that I've been where I have seen the most of the night sky, like, oh my God, I'm that far away from any lights, is um, it's a town called Lugufu, Lake Lugu, which is in Yunnan province, right on the border of Sichuan in, in China. So in Southwest China. And this is a place that is noteworthy because is the home of a matriarchal tribal group called the Mosu people, um, where, um, I've had anthropology classes. You, do you know about the Mosu people? I do. All right. Do you think that you would feel comfortable in in uh, in that particular culture? I do not. All right. <laughs> uh, it is very different from anything that you are thinking right now. They've got a very different dating scene there, and you can you can look that up yourself. But I went there with. Um, I go there. I just passed through once, and and that's the thing is at that time living in China. If you had passed through someplace, and like I did a couple of stories from there, and then I got contacted like a year later, hey, would you like to go back? And uh, there's like a BBC crew that that is going there, and they they need someone to like. I, it was like one of those things where I was going along to write a story about one of the people who was being interviewed by the BBC crew. And it was one of those wacky things. So I was like, okay, no problem, because at the time I lived in Kunming, so I was like, yeah, I can just you know I'll basically take a plane. It's like a 45 minute plane ride to the town of Lijiang where we'd meet the. BBC. BBC crew. And so they, they flew me there. And then I met the person who is the Mosu person, my, my, she's a friend, I guess, Yang Archenamu. And, uh, and it's like, oh yeah, the BBC crew's over there. And I looked over and I see Michael Palin sitting at a table. Oh, that's where. <laughs> eating, eating, you know, basically his breakfast. Now, I guess at this point, I should mention that I am just a lifelong Monty Python like I have like literally ruined dates just by like hey Monty Python line and you know <laughs> some 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 girls like that some don't some uh, don't and they're fools and 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 but, my favorite and I was I I I said to him I walked up he's like oh hello oh Joshua yes you're the person from the South China Morning Post and I'm like ah <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> uh, Go on. Do you have something to? Do you think I'm a handsome boy? I think it's. it's like, I, I suppose so. Yes. 
and I, I'm just shaking. And then I like go. This is I, this is like in the early days when you had texts. Like you had like a little like Nokia phone. I start. I, I have to go to the bathroom now. And I texted my friend Cliff, who is like in Singapore. I'm like, I am now in a restaurant with Michael Palin, and I now have to go talk to him. I was like, Wait, you mean Michael Palin from Python? Yes, yes. It's like. We can't say the sh word here, but I'm like, holy sh- dude! I'm like, yeah. So in any event, so I I got to uh, hang out with him for three days, and that was an awesome thing. But going, yeah. And at one point, I got to translate the lumberjack song into Mandarin because his translators. I wasn't. I was working alongside him, but his translators went off to do something, and and we think they were snogging. But we think that. But uh, we there was some drinking involved. But uh, it was a drinking game, and they sang a song in their language, which was not Mandarin. It was a it was the Mosu language. And then Michael Palin said something like, "I suppose that I should sing a song for them." So he's like, "I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay." Because that one goes over. I work every all night day. and I drink all day. And so I translate. I forgot how to say lumberjack, but uh, it's, it's, I haven't used that word in a long time. But I basically tra- at the time I knew it. I, I translated it and. Uh, it was it was among the, the the high points of my my career. I don't know where that came from, but okay. So back to the Mosu people are people that I think they would like to come here, and, and we would like to go there. There you go. I, I brought it around to a nice, neat little. There we go. We're we're in like we're we're in the third hour of the uh, podcast. We haven't even gotten to the roller skating question. We're on number seven, and we're a half an hour in. Right. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Right. Uh, what's the reference question you've always wanted to ask? Uh, what is the reference section? Uh, the reference section now is mostly the reference desk, and they'll look stuff up for you. I think, wasn't that the books that you can't take out? It was, yeah. but I understand that you have some experience with the publishing world. And you know that things got a little dodgy in publishing. Well, one of the dodgy things that happened was basic reference materials that were printed reference materials uh, went up in price an unconscionable amount. So we, and they weren't coming out very. Was this recently, like around COVID or before? Before. Okay. Much before, like 2008. It started to get real. Not great. So mostly we subscribe to databases. Okay. And uh, we have you know, things we know how to look up and how to find. Uh, but things don't change in print as quickly as they change in real life. So it is better for us to have databases. Okay. And most people are really uncomfortable with databases. So they come up to us with a question, we respond with a database answer, and that's mostly what it is. Okay. So we don't really have a lot of print. Most libraries are getting less and less print reference. Now it's, it's, we seem to be just swimming in this endless ocean of information. It's not, the information's all there, it's just knowing how to find it and how to look for it. And knowing what you are getting. Like, when you go to a librarian, the librarian is getting you... For one thing, they can help you refine the question you're asking. A lot of people come to us and say, I want to know everything about craftsman bungalows. Okay. Well, no, you don't. You want to know everything about this particular designer okay. of craftsman bungalows okay. in this particular year. And reference questions, reference librarians can help you 
uh, find out what you're really asking. I think I recently found out what a bungalow, what the definition <laughs> is, which is, tell me if I'm wrong here. It means that there aren't hallways, like the rooms room to room to room, but there's not like a, a central hallway. Is that correct? Uh, that's a feature okay. of them, and I think that's probably a, a fair way. Okay. To, but I think that uh, what really makes what they were thinking when they started to call them bungalows uh, is that a bungalow in India is a little well, it's a little hut, house, yeah. A hut, but it has a really big, deep porch. Okay. A porch that's open to the air. Right. That's what they were thinking of when they started to make them. So a bungalow, to be a bungalow, has to have a big open air covered. Well, what, what is the, uh, where does the word come from? Bungalow. It doesn't sound it, like it's Germanic or French uh, or... It is some kind of anglicized Hindustani word, I guess. That, that, yeah. And it might not be that anglicized, but... What's the word I'm looking at? Epistemology. What's the word that means? What what language does it come from? Epistemology. I think, I think that's the that that is an interesting because it doesn't. Yeah, bungalow. bungalow. <laughs> All right, there you go. There bungalow. Go. That you asked a reference question. Two reference questions. Oh, wow, you, there you, you go. I didn't. I didn't even think that I had one, and now I, I had two. See, that's the question that really stumbles everybody up. They don't think they have reference questions, and as we talk, it turns out they do. Uh, what do you wish people knew about your job? Either job, author, or two one one I mean, no, it's it's, and again, like, and this is sort of a, this is actually a a deep thing for me because that transition from because my 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 identity was very tied into being a travel writer for so long, and just the conversation that I was having last night with my friend Matt in Thailand, I'm like, wow, I'm. I, one of the questions was, how much should I offer for this? And I'm like, it's been years since I did that sort of work. I don't know anymore. And I connected him to another friend who's still a travel writer. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, what I do now is very much tied into um, sort of the role. And again, I don't I don't want to seem arrogant with this, but like the the novel that I wrote is about this guy who's the last person in the world who should consider himself a bodhisattva, but he is in this weird way. He's like, he's a Buddhist. He's like a reluctant Buddhist who winds up having all sorts of adventures. Uh, but the idea of the bodhisattva in, I believe, you know, traditional Buddhism is, is someone who helps people through uh, suffering, you know, someone who helps people through suffering. And I, this, I, this may not be the answer that you are looking for, but it's something that's been percolating in my head for a while. So I used to go and like do these meditation retreats. I would go and like do these 10 day meditation retreats. You'd sit, observe the breath, observe the breath. That's, that's Goinka, by the way. So from Vipassana, <laughs> that's what he sounds like. That's, that's observe the breath for 10 days. And, um, always during the middle or end of these like I'd be like wow this is good but this isn't what I'm like I am not I'm not earning any brownie points by observing if brownie points are to be you know or whatever whatever I'm working towards um and you know it's it's not just meditation or anything like that and also I, I get kind of bored if I can't eat after two o'clock and there are other things about <laughs> the living like like that spirit spiritual seeker traveling around going to temples meditating and stuff it always left me sort of like okay now what now what now what before enlightenment chop wood carry water uh after enlightenment chop wood carry water uh and 
I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring it around here, is the thing that always got to me is that the people that seemed to be sp- the people that I wanted to emulate when, as I was traveling around were the people who helped other people, whether they were um, their Buddhist hospital in Taiwan, where they come, they help you, they give you water, they help to get you to the place that you need to be. And they do so uncomplainingly, knowing that, you know, oftentimes when you go into a hospital, you're not in the, the best place in life. You're you're anxious, you're scared, there's stuff going on, and there are people whose job it is to guide you towards a somewhat, whatever your resolution is, whatever that better place is, or whatever you need. And there's something about this job that is giving me that, that, I'm looking for a word and I'm not finding it, and I'm embarrassed because I'm a writer and I should be finding it. It gives me that, um, spiritual benefit that I had been looking for in meditation and in going to retreats and in reading books that I was like, yeah, I understand it. Like what the, I understand what the practice is, but the practice is actually helping people along. And so for me, my, the job that I do now is, uh, putting into action the the things that I was telling myself, oh, by going to meditation retreats, I'm becoming a better person. By by abstaining from meat for several days, and uh, you know, 20 minutes ago we were talking about burgers. I, I'm not a vegan. Uh, I, I part of me thinks I should be, uh, but you know, all those things that I was trying to to do. That's what I'm getting now because I I really like being able to help. In this case, in my job, it's, you know, people in Oregon and a certain segment of the, of Southwest Washington. And sorry for people who live in North, Northern, uh, Washington. Nothing against you. It's just not my, I just, I just don't have the database for that. I'll give you the number that, it's not my purview. I'll give you the number that you can call there. Uh, but it's, I genuinely, what I get from that is this. I, I don't want to, like, there's this thing about burning off of karma, but the idea of this is dharmic work, and I, where I work, you know, I work from home now, but I have a very simple office, and I have um, a postcard of His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and by the way, just now, now you can't hear this in China, just because we said that, so there you go, uh, and some other spiritual things on the walls just to remind me that that what I'm doing is I am helping people a little bit at a time and that the the depth of it's not pleasure that's not the word that I'm looking for it's it's and it's not satisfaction that's not the word that I'm looking for either I'm, I'm fishing for words here uh, of uh, a, a spiritual feeling that I am feeling when I do this work. And that is like, like it's a very profound, uh, thing for me. And it's something that for many years prior to, um, being a travel writer, I had a job where I was factory inspector and, uh, I wrote a story about it. It's called confessions of a sweatshop inspector, AKA memoirs of a dog meat man. It's from a Chinese phrase, gua yang to mai go ro. Look it up. Uh, but in any event, where for about a year, I had this job where I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm doing the Lord's work. You know, I'm doing good work. I'm going in there and I'm helping 
factory workers, and I'm helping to expose this, you know, this, this terrible side of, like, global capitalism and corporatism and stuff like that. And at the end of that, you can read the story to see where that led me, uh, but I was looking for that I am doing good work, I'm doing something that, A, it's, it's you know, it, it's a job, and it's, we live in a society where you gotta make money, but also is doing a, a thing that is fulfilling, that's the word I'm looking for, spiritually fulfilling. And when I was a travel writer for years, and it was a tough, it was, it was hard work being a travel writer is living out of a out of a bag all the time and and I mentioned earlier the uh, their short-lived marriage to a, a girl in Texas a lady in Texas and part of the reason was I kept going away for three and four months which apparently that's another thing that you know doesn't really help a relationship but um I always felt like oh wow this is this this work it's not it's not meaningful where to go to get ceviche in Belize okay great I whatever I used to also get to do things like I would promote genuinely good organizations that were doing good um, tourism and, and travel and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I wasn't like, oh, wow, this is a spiritually fulfilling job. This is like, yeah, I get to travel and have a good time and write about it. And that's not bad. I'm not, you know, it's not like, not like I'm, I'm, you know, like working in the landmine factory or anything like that. And like, oh, I just got to do this for money. But, uh, that, that going back to the question, which I've now like probably rambled on about that it is, it is, <laughs> It is a spiritual fulfillment for me, um, and that I am I am genuinely. A lot of times, I have callers who have a, they have difficult things that I'm helping them through, and it. When I'm in a good place, when I'm in a spiritually centered place, my helping them through that also helps me, which is something I've met monks and stuff who like they've also said yes. So my doing this is also. To help me and I'm like ah you're just saying that they just when you when you graduate from monk school you know they tell you, you got you got to keep saying that just say that so it's like no there is that component to it and it kind of blows my mind sometimes now I put it to you that you could not have accepted the fulfilling job until you had been through the parts where you were trying to reach this fulfillment through meditation and well, they're not, it's not really a selfish pursuit. It's mm. it's fine. But until you had gone through those things that weren't, you couldn't have found the full milk. I, I would agree with that. And as I think about that, as I analyze this, I think that is the case. Um, I I remember, and this is an experience that I, that I had with various different, you know, deeply spiritual, profound experiences where you'd reach this level and then what I would hear in my head was, okay, great, and now what? Okay, and now what? What are you going to do with it? You can always help people. Right. There's always someone yeah. And it's like, okay, you can come back here and sit here if you want, but eventually one of the things I like about Vipassana, and I don't go to Vipassana anymore because I don't have 10 days to spare, uh, but Vipassana is great, uh, is that if you do it long enough, eventually they start sending you emails like, hey, why don't you come and you know, be like a student teacher and so that you can help people go along, which means you get to do all the hard work, but you're also helping other people at the same time. And it's like, okay, now put your money where your mouth is at this point. Yeah, it's going, you can come here and sit all you want, but now you have to actually help people when they're on the fifth day of the sit and they just start weeping, you know, and you have to walk them out quietly because, you know, just, it's, it's okay. It's like, no, shh, don't talk. But, uh, and I was, I know this because I was one of those guys, like in the fifth day, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to remember these things. And you, somebody walks you out quietly. Uh, that's a whole... The candy striper. Uh, that, it, 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 yes, the candy striper of Vipassana. So, yeah. 
there, there is there is that element to it. So, and this is exactly why uh, any kind of religious community, like even Christian mm-hmm. monks and nuns, sure. have a component of their daily life that is community service. It, it. This is a very important thing, and. For me, my challenge now, because I'll work all day and then it's like at six o'clock and I've, you know, I've, I've done all these calls where people with genuine, just fill in the blank of crisis that any person living anywhere in America, it's not specific to Oregon or the Pacific Northwest, it's probably just anywhere in America, even in the world, you know, in 2021 when we're going through all these things. And then it's like, okay, now I just want to watch Netflix. And it's like, no, I got to do something to take care of myself now. It's like, yes, it's very tempting to just, you know, watch Netflix or whatever. But it's like, no, now there are other things. So for me, it's like, I still have to keep up my meditation practice. Because like, oh, I don't need to do that because I did all these good things. Today. It's like, no, that's not what meditation is about. Now you have to sit and still you still have to go and observe the breath. Observe the breath. That's 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 Vipassana in a nutshell for you, right? You can, you can YouTube many videos and, and still... You know, His Holiness uh, S.N. going guys to observe the breath. Day one is over. You have nine days more in which to work. Oh, God, no. I still have nightmares about that. He does sort of sound like Dracula. He sounds a little bit like Count Chocula. <laughs> nine! Nine days of silent meditation. You have finished the first. Don't <laughs> forget the count from Sesame yeah, Street. I, 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 I heard okay, it. Okay, okay. <laughs> A lot, lot of vampires out there that are in the media. Yes. So. Goenka was not a vampire, I can assure you. I've, I've, he, he's, I've seen him, I've seen videos of him in the sunlight. Okay. Unless he was a daywalker. Oh, no, I don't want to think about that. Right. Uh, what's your favorite dream? My favorite dream? Either a goal or an actual dream you have at night when you sleep. <sighs> Oh, I, I, that's, I have weird dreams where I'm traveling and I'm very often, I have a lot of dreams where I'm like in China or in, in some place like where I've traveled extensively, but something is just very, like something's not right about it. Like I, I, I want to pass on that one. I just, <laughs> I don't know if I have a favorite dream. And the other thing is, is like, I, for most of my life, my dreams have been, I want to travel here and go do that. And I want to be in this place that I've never been in before. And now I'm like, ah, I like here. I basically, to, to you know, basically live to be about 80 and I, to, to see my mortgage paid off and I've got trees around my house and the garden is more or less taking care of itself, which I, I, I think I can get to that using permaculture <laughs> techniques, which I've only scratched the surface of. And then I'm like, okay, now I can watch Netflix. I've, I, I've already gone ahead. I've helped enough people so that I know that when you have earned the Netflix. Well, what I know that when, when eventually this, you know, this spacesuit that I'm in gives out and then it's like I get to go to the bardo it's like hey congratulations you don't need to be reborn again on this planet and I'm like great what's Alpha Centauri looking like do we have any ideas of other planets to be reborn in yeah sure there's a couple where are you sure I'm like yeah the gravity is is twice as heavy it's like okay do I have a body that can handle that yeah you'll be fine you won't even notice okay cool that that basically to be reborn on some exoplanet a sentient cloud of gas could be yeah I can only I can just I can I can imagine just that will they be making fart jokes on a planet with sentient clouds of gas? Pfft. 
probably not because they would be made of them. They wouldn't. Exactly. We don't. Well, I would be the. I'd be the first one to make those jokes, and they'd be like, "That's got that 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 cloud is a weirdo. That cloud is tasteless (laughs) and odorless." Skin. Pull my finger. I don't know what a finger is. <laughs> Extrude a tendril. <laughs> Can you roller skate? I used to be a, a, a diehard roller blader. I, I did. I could roller skate when I was a kid. And then when I discovered roller blades, I was really into roller blading or inline skating, apparently, because inline roller blade is a brand. Inline skates. Uh, but there was a while where I was inline skating a lot. In fact, I wrote a story for a couple of magazines about inline skating. Um, Don't, please tell me that's how you were a bike messenger. No, I was not. I did not ever do that. It was not, it, the reason that doesn't work <laughs> is because they won't let you into most buildings with them. So I was, I was on a bicycle. Uh, it's, it's, it's not, yeah, no, it was a bike. I wasn't, I wasn't into, I have inline skated in Manhattan and it's fun, but you can't go in and out of buildings. Um, but no, I have rollerbladed all over Beijing. I've rollerbladed all over Shanghai. When I did my Singapore city guide, I did it on rollerblades. They would not let me into raffles. Uh, hotel, which is like the most famous hotel in Singapore, because I, I had my, my skates on, and I had to make the decision do I take my skates off, or do I just and I hope it's, it's uh, the statute of limitations is, I just wrote the review of Raffles Every, it's like the most fancy hotel and I think I'm like, you don't need me to write this hotel up, it doesn't matter everybody comes here to, to drink Singapore slings and throw peanut shells on the floor I had been there already anyway for the last guide but anyway, I did my whole guide on inline skates, and then at some point it was uh, 2009, 2010. I was I was rollerblading around Tai Bay, and uh, which is a pretty good city to skate. And I got into a small accident, and I wound up fracturing something. And it took way longer for that fracture to heal. Like I was like, oh, this is the sort of thing that two days later I would have been feeling better up. But now that I'm in my my 40s, wow, it's like two weeks later, and I'm still not typing right, and it hurts. And, and at that point I hung up my, I think I sold them. I sold them to somebody and I never, I never went, I never skated again. And I think that that's, I'm putting that in, who wrote the book, a a supposedly fun thing that I'll never do again. It's a a book title, but that I'm putting that under a a fun thing that I'm glad that I did for many years that I'll never do again. And just as an aside, uh, I I had sort of like a half brother from a previous marriage and I recently reached out to him a while ago and I was like, Hey man, how you doing? He's like, I just got into a terrible accident because I was in San Francisco. I was inline skating as one does in San Francisco, the hilliest city. And, uh, he just fell over backwards while he's putting his bag uh, on and he like broke the hideous horrible injury that we chat every now and then. yeah it still kind of hurts when it when it rains and I'm like yeah I, I don't want to have an injury like that I was stepping over a fence yeah onto my left foot mm-hmm. uh, in flip flops mm-hmm. it was barbed wire fence okay and I was stepping really wide right. so as not to scratch myself yeah. from a whole bunch of uh, horse chestnut shells okay. yeah. onto a bunch of horse chestnuts okay the fence tipped a little yep. and I lost my balance mm-hmm. a little bit and suddenly couldn't walk on my left foot because I had broken two bones in it. And that's like... You get to the age and just... 
that I'm really grateful that I was as recently, and I, I'll always bicycle. I still bicycle. Um, as recently as two years ago, I was leading bicycle tours in Taiwan, which I can still do. I don't know if I can do it today. I think I'd have to practice a little bit or you know, get my, my stamina up for that. But I can always do that. But anything like that involves balance and lightning fast reflexes and that combination that also, if you screw up just a little bit, it could have catastrophic. Um, we had another thing where we, we had uh, the first week that we moved to Pendleton, we had a windstorm and it blew some uh, siding off the house. And so we had a, we bought, we borrowed a ladder from the neighbor and I climbed up and I'm, I'm like, you know, eight feet off the ground and on this ladder with like a hammer sort of in my teeth. And I'm just thinking, oh, I'll just you know, hold the nail up and nail it in. And and like eight feet up, I'm like, wow, if I fell down off this, this would be something that for the rest of my life, that's the day that I never walked right after that day. And I'm like, no, I'm going to hire somebody to do this. This is some young person who climbs up on ladders all day. That's that's a good use of, of money in general. And when they ride the ladder to the ground, they bounce again. Right, right. And and they, they know what They're to like do. Shatter. Exactly. And so rollerblading, roller skating, climbing ladders. Climbing ladders. I mean, at no point this year cuz we were listening to the rodeo and at no point did they thought, "Wow, I should go on down there and be like, yeah, I, let's see how long I can stay on that bull. You know, maybe I'll win the prize." I at no point They don't, they don't let you just and, walk and, in and, and, and as 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 well they shouldn't. I think it would be very irresponsible for them to do that. Uh, but at no point did I think, huh, I, I, you know, could come, maybe, maybe I'll be crushed or maybe I'll come. I think it's like a huge prize, right? It's like 25,000 bucks or something, big, big amount of money. It is the richest four day rodeo in the world. Okay. Yeah. No, so they come. Yeah, yeah. They, they come to, yeah. to ride. We, we were listening because, you know, we were listening because our house is close enough we could hear it. And, like, I, I definitely remember hearing the announcer, like, you know, he broke every bone in his body last year, but he's back and he's ready to try it again. And he's 22 years old. And he's 22. Water. Yeah. We saw a guy. We watched it. It was actually on mm-hmm. TV in real time this year. And... Uh, we saw a kid riding a bull, and he had an accident I've never seen anyone have. Uh-huh. I have seen that rodeo every year of my life. Okay. Every year of my life, from one on up to 48, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kid hid his face on the bull's head in between, <laughs> in between in be- the bull's horns. Okay. And he didn't even know. He had a helmet on. He had mm-hmm. neck Yeah. Because it's different. And he was talking to the interviewer afterward, and she said, wow, you're really bleeding. He said, bleeding? She said, yeah. And he said, oh, bleeding. <laughs> His face on that animal. And How long did he stay on the bull? The, the whole time. You know, he, it, okay. He, most of them stay on the whole time. Hey, Eight it's, seconds. It's just you know, right. style and okay. ability. Is what how they do the scoring. See, I always thought like if you were like you had like like druidical powers, like speak with animals, Dungeons and Dragons reference, you could just be like, hey, just pretend, and you and the bulls, like, and then after this, I'm gonna use that money to buy you the farm that you want to retire in. Well, the, those bulls already live on the farm that okay. they want to retire in. It's very nice life for them. They're also scored. Half of the score is the cowboy. Okay. Half of the score is the bull. All right. So uh, I think that. Uh, the top score for each is 50 points. So, Is there communication allowed, or is there any communication between the cowboy and the bull beforehand? Um, I mean, I suppose 
it wouldn't make any difference. I've got very little experience with bovines. <laughs> like horses, I know that when I used to ride horses, there were horses that very clear, like, you know I could kill you yeah. at any time. You're like, please don't do that. And here's an apple now, and there'll be more later if, I, if I'm if i physically able to give it to you. So, all right, great. I'll walk around in a circle. Let's go into the park, and I'm going to eat some leaves off this tree. Go ahead and try to stop me. I can't. <laughs> you know, you outweigh me by, you know, a factor of 20 to 1. And then and later it's like, thanks for not killing me. Yeah, whatever. Right. Uh, but you don't have that communication with the bull. They're not with those. Okay. Although, when they are not in the ring, Mm -hmm. uh, they do have training to not want somebody on their back. But when they are in their pen, they're pretty nice. Okay. Like, you can feed them, pet them, and stuff. Okay. They're irritated into bucking that cowboy off. Right, yeah. Mostly because they just don't like it. Right, okay. (laughs) But also a little bit because... The same with the horses. Uh, it's part of their training. Right. They are trained to they're, they're, they're trained murder to, a small man. They are. How? <laughs> what? What? I And this, apropos of nothing, uh, what is the average salary for a rodeo clown these days? I would estimate uh, it's certainly not enough. Not enough. I uh, would think... Uh, about the same as minor league baseball player. Okay. I would. I would. All right. Think. Uh, the guy in the barrel is different. Okay. The guy in the barrel who does the smart remarks and the stuff. Okay. He's a different guy. Okay. Uh, that's a rodeo clown. The guys that are uh, leading the bull away from the little man they're trying to kill. Those are the bull fighters. Okay. And. Uh, I think those are probably two different pay grades. Okay. So. I'm, I'm putting both of those into on the jobs that I will never do <laughs> list. You know, I think it's too late for me to get into rodeo clowning. Slim Pickens yeah. was a rodeo clown. Slim Pickens. Slim Pickens, I, the, I, the movie... Yeah. The movie comedian. Wait, so wasn't he the guy who rode the he rode the bomb down in uh Doctor Strangelove? He That's did. Slim Pickens. Okay. Also, the reason that he went to Hollywood besides being humorous, mm-hmm. uh he and he was at Roundup several times. Okay. He was the clown at Roundup. So okay. Uh he was a horse trainer. Okay. Like I have a picture of him. On his horse, he is without saddle, without bridle. Mm-hmm. They are jumping over a convertible. He, when in that scene, and I've, I've always thought this, I didn't know what you just told me, but I always thought when he's riding the bomb down at the end of Dr. Strangelove, by the way, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Dr. Strangelove, <laughs> the world ends in a fiery nuclear holocaust, so... Uh, but in any event, he is definitely riding that down like a guy who knows how to straddle something and ride it. He does. Yeah. That's why. If you look at him compared to the other actors in Blazing Saddles. Okay. Yep. Uh, he is, he doesn't pay any attention to the horse. He's just doing his lines and doing his acting. Mm-hmm. The others, you can see that they're giving cues and pulling reins. Right. And doing stuff and, you know, balancing and things. You can't tell. Right, and yeah. He's, doing anything but sitting in a chair. I I I would very much like to like read some behind the scenes of that movie. I'd imagine that he he was probably also helping them with the horses and stuff. I think he probably Gene was. Wilder didn't look all that comfortable on a horse. Yeah. Cleveland Little does though. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah. Uh 
also, frequently, I think his part would be small, but he was himself, mm-hmm. and then the part would become larger. Right. For instance, 1941. Yep. He just had a bit in that. Yep. And he was just such a screaming, hilarious guy that it grew. I actually would, I want to watch 1941 again. I have not seen that since I was a kid. But that was, uh, John Belushi was, uh, yeah, it was one of the John Belushi films. It's one of my favorite movies. <laughs> The only scene that I remember from that is one of the Japanese people in a submarine trying to steal something, but they couldn't get it into the submarine. They, his radio. He had okay, yeah. a radio in his... Uh, and th- and they say and they say we should figure out a way to make these radios smaller. They do. Yeah. Uh, and they kidnap him because they're looking to strike at the entertainment industry and hurt America. Okay. In this sub, they're kind of a renegade. Uh huh. And they're gonna blow up Hollywood. I remember. And they're not too far away, but it's foggy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they scare a naked lady, and then they go ashore and they capture Hollis. Hollywood. Okay. Who grows Christmas trees, and it's Slim Pickens. Okay. And he's riding along in his old truck, and he has his radio with him. I remember. Now I remember. Yeah. Case radios, and so hilarity ensues. That's another movie that I don't. I, now I don't need to see it again because <laughs> I've now now I'm now like that little part in my brain that was storing that. Yeah, no, you watch this at least once on video cassette. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Uh, there are. Many amusing um, cameos in it. Steven Spielberg film. Yeah. My very favorite cameo of all is um, Lenny and Squiggy. Both of them. Both of them. They are uh, positioned on the roof of a hotel manning an anti-aircraft gun. Mm-hmm. It's just that I think they have like two lines. Michael McKeon is one of those <laughs> actors that I, you realize because I'm on Twitter. It's a waste of time, but I'm still on Twitter. And uh, he's one of the people that I follow. And I'm like, I've known this human being my entire life. I've known him Lenny and Squiggy. And then you know, Spinal Tap, which was like, oh, the Spinal Tap's great. And then what did he do after that? Oh, like every film that I like right. he's been in. And now, of course, Better Call Saul, which... Uh, Oh, is he in that? Yes, he is. Yes. Oh, Better Call Saul is worth watching. It's good. It's good. One of the main guys on Good Omens. Mm-hmm. Yes. Michael McKeon. Michael McKeon. I have not seen Good Omens. Ah, oh, you should. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, no, I haven't seen. I've read the book. Yeah. The, the oh. there are significant changes. Okay. In the show, but uh, it's worth it. Now, did you? What did you? You've read American Gods, right? But did you watch the show? It seemed like it started off good and then just went downhill. Exactly what happened. What happened is like, all right, you know what? We're not going to pay you enough money to make this properly. Uh, I knew it was doomed when they got rid of that great Mr. Nancy. Okay, yeah. Uh, I was not imagining Mr. Nancy that way, but Mm -hmm. I am now. Yeah. Forever. (laughs) We watched the first season and we just didn't, we didn't get any further. I don't even know if they finished it, so... I don't think they did. I'm not entirely sure that the season came out that everybody was saying. Mm. We live in a very weird time for television now. There's, there's just so much good quality prestige TV and so little time. I, I was chatting with Stephanie this morning and I had a friend when I was a teenager who, like, I would go and house sit for him because he had a, a big, like, 100 pound pit bull that 
liked me and you know enough so that I could he would tolerate me but the thing was like he had cable TV so as I go over there for the weekend because he's going away somewhere I can watch his dog and I can watch TV which we didn't have cable TV at home he had like 16 channels or something like that I was like what some of them were like like some of them were ironically like Nickelodeon which was shows that I had watched when I was you know 10 years earlier it's like wow this is this is this is memories for me I was thrilled when Taxi started being on Nick at night yeah. oh Taxi yeah okay. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I we have gone well over way now, over yeah and we still have nine questions to go you so can edit this if you want again? uh we I could keep going now I'm not in a hurry if you want to record the whole thing are you gonna you're gonna cut it down to an hour right no, no? you're just gonna play the whole thing yeah okay and I do have to go back out oh you do okay so you let me know whatever you want I'm I'm you know all right so that's it. Uh, we will see you again. We will continue uh, unless my library fees, you know, become too odious. Sorry, this, do not admit this man. Onerous. Onerous. onerous? Odious. Not odious. What, what's the difference? Hold on. Let's end okay. on this. Right. Onerous. Uh, odious. Odious is like disgusting. Okay. Uh, morally reprehensible. Ah. Onerous. Difficult. Difficult. Okay. I have misused those words. Uh, now, if you'll notice uh, uh, in, in Spinning Karma, palatable and palpable. Uh-oh. If, I don't know if you've noticed that. You will notice that. <laughs> I think that I got that into the editor in time because someone's like, no, you use palatable, but you meant palpable. Which is which? Palpable? Yeah. Uh, you can perceive it. Okay. Palatable, you like it. And this is this is why I taught English for so many years, and people are like English is a hard language. I'm like, no, it's totally easy. Except, yeah, you know, for a pigeon language that is based on doing business with your Roman, Norwegian, mm-hmm. and German neighbors, mm-hmm. it does okay. We did really well, I think. Yeah, <laughs> whoever we are, like I had anything to do with that. All right, hey, <laughs> well, way to go, team. Again. Thank you. <laughs>